you can you can cut it in afterwards. All right. Good evening, everybody. This is um, another issue of uh, Kiron Talks online worldwide. Um, um, uh, conversational format um, invented by Dominic All and Sabrina Konstop, which you see in the two screens, and our special guest Veronika Dolar, um, who is originally from Slovenia but now teaches in New York. In, in New York, um, my name is Tino Brömme. Want to talk a little bit about how is the situation in the U.S. today? Our topic generally is um, higher education, open education, digital skills. Um, the question how we deal in the crisis with education and uh, about our personal experiences in this field. Uh, Veronica Dolar, um, professor at SUNY, the State University of um, New York um, um, Community College. She has a very diverse classroom, a very student body, and this is something that will interest us uh, particularly. But as usual, we start with a little round of everybody saying something, uh, what is going on. So perhaps um, Dominic, maybe, no, Sabrina may start uh, to say what's going on. <laughs> yes, hi, everyone. I'm very excited that we already have our seventh uh, session today of Karen Talks. Um, but uh, as much as we enjoy the format, I think it's also a, a sad sign a bit because we started this um, after Corona hit in Germany, at least. Um, however, it's been very interesting always to learn about um, how it affects the different um, actors and players in, uh, in all various forms of educational um, settings and institutions. So I'm super excited to hear about um, your point of view today and your, your expertise. Yeah. Dominic, do you want to go on? Yeah, I thought you were going to tell us maybe an anecdote as well. <laughs> An anecdote, a tricky one. We started to do that, um, but I don't have a funny one to share no. today, um, apart from maybe that home office is really training <laughs> um, after we've been in it for two months now. <laughs> yeah, I would like to just say, I mean, I, I found out now that uh, I'm having fun going to different rooms for each of my meetings now. <laughs> so I had a meeting uh, this afternoon in the corridor because I actually hadn't done a meeting there before. So that's kind of the amount of kind of fun you have uh, when you're working at home. But uh, I still, I, I always think it's good because, you know, Sabrina and I, we're kind of fans of digital learning and we're expecting students to be learning at home. So I think it's good that we're kind of, you know, walking the talk as well and actually have to uh, work at, uh, at home as well. Tino, is the pitching coming back? My... I can say that my, my working place has changed too. I came from Northern Germany, Berlin to Thuringen now. And um, I can say that in the last weeks I have um, um, using these uh, online conversational tools, so many people also making interviews and so on, of course, as a journalist. Um, but it was really, it's really fun. And okay, I don't want to talk so positively because the situation is really hard for many people and people are worried, no? But, um, well, um, who has a workplace uh, or, or invents some, like you, Dominic, uh, might be still in a good mood. But, um, Veronica, you said you're a lot of, you have a lot of trouble with your children. What, what trouble are they making? 
So can't you, can you put them into a closet or something? I, I tried. Um, so I actually rearranged my um, my basement for a little bit because at one point they were not allowed to go to the basement. So that was the only place they always wanted to go. So I said, okay, that's great. That's going to be fantastic. I'm going to fix up my basement uh, down in the basement, have a little bit of time to actually do some recording and that's going to work. And of course, the moment I start talking to somebody, uh, they just start jumping all over the place. They start arguing, fighting. So I was just saying before, if you start seeing smoke behind me, please <laughs> let me know. I'm a single mom of three very small children. So uh, they're slightly unsupervised right now their um, iPads are their entertainment and as I said like if I want to talk to them they are always very very busy but the moment I start talking to somebody working um, there's always an issue and of course there's homeschooling so that's what I'm doing right now so just before our talk uh, we had the same kind of a interaction with their teachers and uh, and it's quite a challenge I mean most of the time the only thing that you keep on have to say is, uh, is saying is uh, please mute please mute and now unmute and now mute and please mm -hmm. unmute so it's like 15 uh, you know first graders uh, also working with this technology and I I mean awe with all the teachers uh, you know the kindergarten first grade teachers how they're able to keep their calm and cool and do this and they themselves they have their families and their kids most of the time so um, I really shouldn't be complaining all that much no, you should, you should. But, okay, okay. Uh, but, yeah, Tom, why, why do you say children? I thought you are uh, teaching students and also a very diverse... Uh, oh, yes. So, um, so I just want to correct you a little bit. So I work for the State University of New York, but it's a four-year college. Um, so it's a public college. It's a four-year college. Um, and uh, one of the big distinctions of SUNY Old Westbury is it is actually one of the most diverse uh, colleges in the United States. And I think uh, we have gotten an award for diversity probably I am know for sure the past two years, probably even before. And typically when in the United States they talk about diversity, they just mean African-American. That's usually a synonym. But uh, really with our college, it's diverse in almost any uh, uh, respect, right? So it's the gender, income, class, background, um, um, what kind of uh, uh, families they come from and so on. So uh, that's really, really great diversity. And, and as I said, like when I teach there, I'm exciting things I can, you know, uh, experience because you really see like the whole world in a sense or the America, the way the United States, the way I sort of envision it basically, right? Really diverse, all mm -hmm. these different points of views, all, all these different uh, backgrounds and so on. Um, but I mean, it has been extremely challenging if I just sort of jump ahead with, with this idea of that we closed down our campus uh, mid-March and um, and uh, so different places, uh, you know, approach this issue um, in various ways. Uh, what SUNY Old Westbury decided to do is that uh, they discourage synchronous learning, for example. Mm -hmm. So um, in some places, my, my colleagues, I used to work at a private institution, um, LIU Post. Uh, there, my colleagues were actually mandated that they need to have synchronous learning. So basically replace exactly the same face-to-face -face classes with online classes classes and pretend they're all in class. Well, it's only Albusbury, our instruction was exactly the opposite. And that comes from a very uh, practical, from a practical point of view. The fact is that a lot of our students, uh, they don't have maybe reliable access to Wi-Fi. They might not have. Uh, many of them uh, live in places where, I mean, just like that, like you have, you know, it might have stay-at-home parents. So you have children to take care of, family members that you have to take care of. Uh, we are here in New York. It's very, they're small apartments, not a lot of space 
space, uh, when and where are you going to be able to just like afford to, you know, uh, go to your class virtually and pretend everything's okay. It's very, it's very challenging, right? So a lot of times um, I, I even have office hours, sometimes very late at night. Uh, I text with them at three o'clock in the morning because that's the only time they actually have uh, in order to correspond. Uh, a lot of them might still work. Um, so basically they might work as a result of the, of the crisis. So there are all these challenges. And uh, so basically we decided uh, as an institution that uh, synchronous learning at this point is just too much of a pressure on our students, um, but we should try to be available uh, otherwise. So it's asynchronous learning, uh, video lectures and so on. So, and also, I mean, as I said, just even just basic technology. So uh, I'm also um, a member of the faculty senate. And so we have a bit more report in terms of what we and, uh, um, uh, you know, the, the president and the provost and everybody was working really hard to make sure that students who didn't have laptops, for example, uh, were able to get one. Um, but then the Wi-Fi is an issue. So I remember I was also talking to, I'm part of a, a bigger group, OER group here at the entire SUNY system. Oh, one of the children might be uh, <laughs> joining us soon. Um, so one of the one of the things that people were actually mentioning is like if they can just drive in front of a public library, sit in their cars, and try yeah. to maybe get a Wi-Fi. So we are all sort of you know brainstorming what are the what are some of the ways that you know people can have access to this. Um, so that's just a bit of an intro, I guess. Wow. Okay, that's a whole load of things oh. to, to unpack. <laughs> I think. I mean. One point I think I think it's very interesting when you say you've really focused on asynchronous um, learning because that's been a process. I think um, if we look at many other discussions at the moment, it seems that most colleges and universities have said, "Okay, well, normally you have a live lecture, so we must have a live kind of web." But um, so synchronous is kind of helpful. A asynchronous is kind of helpful. So something that's pre-recorded essentially. Have you also then changed the way the lecture is kind of organized? So one challenge we always have at Kiron is when we put recorded material on the platform, we actually know it shouldn't be too long because if it's too long, you know, you have waning interest, people just don't watch it. So those kind of changes as well. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm actually pretty lucky because I actually started to teach quite intensively online uh, maybe two, three years ago. And that's when I started to actually record these kind of uh, video lectures. And it was sort of funny for me to actually uh, have this experience because I, I think I became a better face-to-face -face interactions because of my online experience and because I was recording these tiny little video lectures. So one of the things, for example, I do in most of my class, especially upper level electives, is that they need to uh, um, learn some technical skills. So for example, how to use Excel to analyze the data, to come up with a graph and so on. So back in the days, uh, what I used to do is I, I used to reserve a um, computer lab. I got everybody down into the computer lab and I was basically doing the instructions um, live, basically. And then it was, and it's just very difficult too, because I mean, sometimes the speeds are different and somebody gets a different kind of a problem than another person. But that was sort of the idea, right? I mean, it slows it down and you can address every single issue at a time. And then I recorded those kind of lectures for my online class because I said, look, my online 
students should learn the same type of skills. Just because I can't see them doesn't mean that they shouldn't be learning the same type of material and skills. So I started to record these video lectures, but I said, well, I have these lectures. I might share them with the students in my face-to-face -face class. And what actually started to happen, and that's when I realized this kind of difference in technology and uh, what kind of teaching and pedagogy you can use, is that in the as I was trying to teach them how to do certain things in Excel, students would be rather listening to my mini recorded lectures as opposed to me. <laughs> right so it was sort of around like, well here I am you can ask me you know like I'm trying to show you this live and they actually found it easier to just listen to that and one of the beautiful recording, recorded stuff is that you can pause it and you can rewind it mm -hmm. and this is something that a lot of us who are so used to just like lecturing or dealing with people face to face just don't realize the power of that right and also many times like the you know students you know they, they look down they look up I do something they miss it while they can really pause it they can rewind it and and it, there and there's no shame in that in a sense too right because many times in in the face-to-face -face class this this is this i mean i'm Right now, I'm talking specifically about like these technical skills, right? But it applies for everything, right? They might not be, uh, feel comfortable asking a very basic, trivial stuff, but if it's recorded and they just missed it and I defined something and I used the term or something like that, they can pause it, go back, you know, 10, 15 seconds and, oh, that's what she said. Oh, that's what this is. So um, using this kind of new technology and asynchronous learning, as I said, it's it's quite powerful, but but you have to sort of change the, the point of view, right? And I could also speak a lot faster. I could go over this stuff because I know that and I tell them so I have um have one no, of the no, lectures no, you couldn't you couldn't speak any faster that's I, I am, no, no, oh, no, no, no. oh this is this <laughs> no, no. is me holding back I don't back. This is me but, holding but back. Let me yes. ask. I see this asynchronous also I mean let me ask a provo uh, provocative question asynchronous recorded learning blended learning don't you I mean how do you how do you how do you see this how what do you feel about it this is only positive because I have a feeling here is also kind of a downgrade not not your not your teaching no but um the yeah, the necessity now um, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a downgrading of um of it and you are um, a teacher like many teachers also now who adapt to the situation and who always adapted to the situation who always adapted to maybe a bad equipment or not enough money for the schools or not enough teachers for the kind of diverse students and they are adapting to a bad economic situation um, for the education um, facilities and you do now too and 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 you accept everything like this how do you feel about it i mean this is this is not only just a practical thing no Right. I mean, so one of the things is that we've been experiencing here at SUNY, uh, Old Westbury, uh, in, even in regards in terms of OER, is this idea that basically we're just now contact context uh, creator and we just dump all this material out there. And so what do you need professors and teachers anyways? Like what's the value added, right? So uh, obviously that's a big issue. So, and in fact, if you don't think that you're if you feel that the technology can so easily replace you in your class experience, then, you know, you should take a little bit of a, a soul searching when it comes to teaching, I guess. Things that I think, so synchronous, uh, so asynchronous learning, obviously it's very good just because of these like technical skills, it's recorded, people can go back and, and so on. But again, um, one of the things that uh, it's sort of forgotten, um, and, and here we are all just sort of thrown into that, is that um, it takes a certain type of skill and a certain type of a student to be able to master this type of an environment, right? I mean, this is not for everybody. And in fact, students at, at my college, I think, are especially those who are uh, college uh, students, uh, they have very, very uh, diverse background and not so much of a experience, family experience when it comes to going to college. So um, they really need a lot more um, 
hand-holding when it comes to that. And this is where I think professors, we actually add quite a bit. So, and, and again, like, there was a major difference in terms of, you know, like I, I taught an online course and people who, who sign up for an online course, they knew what's going on because they were like, it's a self-selection, right? I mean, they knew mm -hmm. what to expect. But people who sign up for regular face-to-face -face classes to be just expected halfway through the semester to just become online learners, I mean, that's, that's quite a bit, right? So I think there is a skill that's involved. There's a lot of time management uh, skills that students need to sort of, um, uh, you know, be aware of, or we need to help them. And top of just having this asynchronous part, I mean, I have office hours, you know, like I meet with students online, I share my screen uh, uh, with them, we work on this one-on-one. -on -one. So it's just like any other office hours, except that we are meeting remotely. So just like I'm like talking to you right now, I still talk to my students. So there is the the face-to-face -face interaction, which I think about, uh, but uh, the main part, the main course of the material the sort of the technical skills or just sort of definitional skills are there. And finally, I think uh, just to add to this, you know, at the end, what actually matters for learning is sort of kind of this discussion and reflection and getting the big picture. And this is where the interaction with students, with each other and with me actually matters quite a bit. So, mm. and that's my cat in the background. You can probably hear her. She's very loud. That's cute. <laughs> no, but like, um, it just got me thinking, right? I mean, in the end, it doesn't have to be like one-on-one -on -one the same content, right? In your case, it is because you recorded the online session for yourself and it's probably like a mirror, yeah. right? To what Wait. you would teach. Um, can you just wait for a second? I think this is, it goes you on should, for, uh, forever. You feed it once in a while. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And she's tiny. She eats a lot. Just, just a second. Give me yes, a second. No I need problem. to. Uh, no okay. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> but I will have to wait to ask her uh, ask her that specific question. Um, but I think it's. I mean, this is really interesting. Also, just to hear kind of because Veronica's kind of also an expert on how to offer this online learning. So it would be interesting to hear also. We can't hear you yet. I'm just trying to showcase the realities of, uh, of this kind of uh, working at home. That's well, the reason it was all planned and, her. Yeah, and her. studying at low and studying at home. I mean, this is, yeah, yeah. you know, this is not only relevant actually for the whole question of uh, synchronous learning. Now, if we, I'm, I'm just going to throw in a word, think about uh, online proctoring. If you were doing an exam now, this would be a really big problem because they yes. would have thought you'd have answers now. Anyway, I just want to pass back to Sabrina because she was asking a question. So sorry, yes. <laughs> no worries at all. No, I was just, I was just trying to say, I mean, um, depending on who you talk about, right? But our students on the current campus, like often if they enter higher education in Germany, they're not native German speakers, right? So um, something like that is also what we observe in some of our students, right? If they take an introductory course on business or economics or whatever, then it can happen that they watch our uh, course online in English, although it's from a, a completely different institute, right? And me, maybe even not like perfectly matching what they're supposed to learn, but it still helps them to understand like the issues and the, you know, the complexity of it. Um, would you, I don't know, would you think then um, that's a way to, to go ahead, you know, like how we could also support learning? Um, because in the end, like what I got in my studies, it was texts, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and books and whatnot. And then you had, like in my case, political science, like, I don't know, 300 pages of essays <laughs> from one week to the other. Um, but I, I never felt like that 100% supported my, my progress on the, on the subject, right? 
Um, so maybe that's also a different way of um, making education more valuable for, for everyone in the end, because um, yeah, everyone has their own pace and uh, their own way of learning. Yeah, so I mean, uh, in my case, I mean, there's still the regular textbook that the students can read. There are my lectures, uh, there are other lectures that they can find some other, uh, you know, YouTube uh, material, other uh, things that are available or some other open education resources that are out there. Uh, one of the things, and again, this is where uh, we're in a somewhat privileged position is that, uh, again, SUNY Old Westbury, again, I think about two years ago, uh, they got a contract with a uh, Panopto, that's, uh, again, another like uh, lecture capture um, um, a software that actually does the um, uh, subscripts as well. So basically, mm -hmm. as I speak, an easy accent, uh, it still gets uh, quite a bit of it right. So you can do the lecture captures, you can do that. So that helps because that's also for the for people, you know, that are disabilities in a sense, right? So there are some other options out there that, in fact, uh, provide more access in, in some ways to a lot of students. But again, I still want to come back to the idea that... Um, you know, we shouldn't uh, kid ourselves to think that, well, I put everything out there, it's clear they should just do it, and why do they not do it, and why do they not complete all the assignments or anything like that? I mean, that's where basically this personal contact actually helps, right? So I, I typically, uh, you know, email students, uh, try to send them messages, try to be in contact to see what's going on, to motivate them, to uh, basically tell them, you know, this is where things are, and, and so on. And again, the, the question here is, do you need a professor? That's, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be critical about that too, right? I mean, do you need a professor to do that or just need a coach, right? So that's, again, you just need somebody who is uh, getting you through the material, like a life coach or a sort of time manage, manager, uh, or do you actually need a professor who then answers also the questions that you might have? Mm. Another thing that I would like to mention is that, uh, I mean, this is where I think the, the system, the way the... Uh, undergraduate uh, studies are done uh, in, I, I'm, I would guess, in most of the European uh, countries as opposed to United States and Canada is that uh, classes, uh, it, it the classes here resemble high school a lot more compared to just like regular large uh, university lectures. So basically, uh, we are already accustomed, you know, to this weekly readings. I mean, I take attendance of my classes, right, every single time. Uh, and so basically, you know, I, I believe the, the way you learn is like, I mean, you have to take sort of smaller steps, smaller steps to build to, to a bigger picture altogether, uh, as opposed to just leave it until the end and, and hopefully you pass somehow, right? Mm -hmm. So... Um, um, so we have been practicing this here quite a bit. Now the question is, how do you do that, right? I mean, how do you maintain this kind of rigor uh, throughout the session? You don't see the students. And, and again, like, I mean, this, this is where I, I suffer greatly. I mean, I'm not actually a very good person. I'm, I'm horrible. I don't talk on phones, on the phone. Uh, I'm very, very bad with these kind of meetings. I, I am the face-to-face -face person. I mean, I feel that this like human interaction really matters a lot. So I feel like I'm completely handicapped, right? So standing in front of the, the, the class, motivating students, students, asking them, challenging them, uh, uh, pushing them to actually do the work that normally they would have is really, I think, my forte right now, right? So, uh, and this is something that uh, I think, um, you know, can be, it, it is a problem. And I, it, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of students can just basically fall through the cracks as a result of that. And um, you are, though, actually an expert in a way on, on how to organize this online learning, because as you said, you've done it for a long time before. So do you see practices um, with other lecturers and how they're coping with it? Because the one already about digital skills of the students, but also 
you know, I mean, we were making a joke recently that there's the so-called PDF university. So even yes. even worse than kind of, you know, the Zoom thing is just like, okay, just like somehow get them content and then we're okay. So how do you see that at the moment? Yeah, I mean, um, I think uh, a lot of the a lot of the faculty, just like a lot of students, uh, were completely, you know, uh, to to be dealing with this in a sense, right? And it's it's nobody's fault, really. Uh, and I think it's just a shock. And yes, I mean, uh, one of the one of the things that I've been talking to uh, with one one you know some of my colleagues is basically this distinction between online learning and remote learning, right? So um, when I was preparing my online class, I had time. I knew that I'm teaching this class, so I was able to organize it differently, think about different kinds of assignments, prepare these video lectures ahead of time. Here, what we have done is basically within a week, we had to be ready to prepare a course that is a remote learning, right? And, uh, you know, in this kind of, uh, under this crazy circumstances, uh, yeah, PDFs, I guess it's it's sometimes the best you can do. Uh, then there's also the... Um, uh, the what platform to use uh, to navigate this stuff? Who's to use? So we use Blackboard uh, or like other LSM uh, systems, um, um, learning management systems, and um, and uh, a lot of you know faculty didn't know how to use it. So uh, here again, SUNY Old Westbury was very proactive. Um, you could get a, a. I mean, we have a one of the to to help uh, navigate using Blackboard in an instant and again providing all these tutorials to just get you online and try to work with that. A lot of faculties helping each other. Uh, in some places they um, they sort of mandated that faculty work in, in, in pairs already, right? So that you're basically paired with somebody that is going to help you, that's going to be there to, to provide uh, uh, some guidance. Uh, sometimes this is, uh, at some colleges, this is done in an organized way uh, and some, some places this is basically uh, um, you know, external um, solution that faculty sort of finds like, oh, you know, you have done this before, please help me. Can you help me teach these courses and so on? So mm -hmm. I think everybody's sort of trying to chip in. Uh, with us, one of the issues also I should be mentioning too, which, which has to do with economics, is the shock to the adjunct faculty, right? So adjuncts uh, now represent such a large uh, faction, uh, part of uh, who's teaching undergraduate courses. These are, these are it's, it's rather called them contingency faculty in a sense, right? I mean, they're just basically there. Uh, when you need them, they're there to, you know, teach more classes. When you don't need them, you got three of them. They don't typically get the benefits. Their sal their wages are extremely, extremely low. Uh, and now all of a sudden they've been pushed to actually do all this extra work. Mm -hmm. And then the question is, is this fair again? Like, I mean, it, it has to do with fairness, with the pay, uh, opportunities and so on. And uh, so it's another sort of like a big issue that a lot of the universities are sort of uh, dealing with and faculty, especially in SUNY and CUNY, City University of New York, uh, there has been a lot of push uh, to make sure that uh, they're additionally compensated for all this crazy work that they're doing on top of, uh, you know, unexpected work that they didn't. So they've become. Monica, <clears throat> Monica, do you have um, um, like an overview? I mean, you're in New York, about the United States, maybe that's too big, but you're in the state of New York. Do you have an, uh, an overview of the situation? Um, if there's economical um, difficulties for the universities and for the schools, um, how teachers um, um, deal economically and with their time management. Can you give a little bit of an overview also? I mean, I don't get really um, in what kind of um, like context you're working. Yeah, so I mean, uh... 
So, I mean, we can start broadly. We can talk about United States as a whole, right? So we have this uh, system of private four-year colleges and then public four-year colleges and public two-year colleges, right? So that's something that sort of prevails here in the United States. And one of the one of the big trends, especially over the past five years, has been the change in the demographics. So, uh, you know, there are just not as many, uh, you know, this, the system was really sort of propped up and built uh, during the baby boomers time, right? And since then, typically students that are coming in, it's shrinking and shrinking. Everybody's fighting for the smaller number of students that are available in the United States. And mostly private uh, colleges are struggling quite a bit. Uh, Long Island, where I work, is it's probably uh, ground zero when it comes to that, right? I mean, Long Island was one of the places where the population really boomed. They built all these colleges, private and public. And now uh, there's simply not enough... Um, there are not enough high school students, you know, to, uh, to in and uh, and pay for all this tuition. So colleges are struggling. Um, I, was, I just got these statistics uh, in the news from yesterday. Uh, 345 private colleges are at risk of closing or merging, and they really are struggling, right? So they're trying to cut costs um, uh, where they can, and it, it is a struggle. So basically, this is going to be, uh, you know, this crisis is going to have some really severe consequences on the on the higher education here in the United States um, simply because many many colleges and universities will probably have to close or completely uh, we have been seeing this trend over the past five years uh, I, I think on average there's about like two or three colleges that close every year and a lot more is still big and this was before Christ the crisis right this was during the the periods of growth in a sense right so I can just imagine this is gonna get a lot worse uh, another thing that it's also happening a lot uh, especially in colleges is that they're trying to get rid of tenure obviously um, and uh, just to make sure that there's a lot more flexibility that they can get rid of um, and, you know, some programs become less popular uh, and they want to rely a lot more on adjuncts because they're just so much cheaper and, you know, it's much easier to get them during the semesters when you need them and not pay them when you don't need them. So, uh, so they're all struggling as a result of this. Yeah. Mm. I also have a special question. Um, um, when Trump came into power, he also cut um, the budgets of the NEA and the NEH, so the National Endowment of the and the other one, and uh, who are both um, institutions who uh, help the schools where they have no art education and so on. No, and they are now, I think, practically gone. No, um, did it have an effect? I mean, you are in an arts. Um, College, right? Um, so, it's a liberal arts. It's mostly liberal yeah. arts college. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's did, a public did, did, liberal um, arts college. Did, did, this, did the, the funding policy for higher education or for education? since the new American government influenced your, your situation? So luckily for us, we, I mean, so because, you know, there's a federal system and then there's a state system here in place. And luckily for us, the state at the time, uh, for the time being, basically shielded us quite a bit. So we, uh, the governor, Andrew Cuomo, uh, basically, uh, that's like two years ago now, I think two or three years ago, announced this Excelsior scholarship, which basically means that for people that meet certain financial criteria, the income criteria, uh, they have free pass uh, for community colleges, but also for four-year colleges. So this, this, we were the first state in New York, in, in United States, uh, to basically provide full scholarship for four-year uh, education. So of course, in Germany, it doesn't make any sense to you guys, but this, this is this is a pretty big breakthrough here in United States. 
now the question is, you know, what happens now, right? I mean, so New York has been hit so, so heavily. Um, and in fact, I was just giving another, uh, just to sort of twist it around. It's not really answering your question, but it's it's an interesting fact. Um, so in terms of the unemployment claims, right? Um, uh, I think the southern states are the ones that are really hit the most right now because of the pandemic and the, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, lock-in uh, lockdown of the economies, right? Uh, I think Louisiana and Georgia, their unemployment rates are about like 30%, which is during the Great Depression, right? 1929, 1930, uh, unemployment rate was about 25%. So they're above those rates already. State, New York State, actually, it's number 16 or 17 on the list. So even though in terms of the uh, the policies that we have taken, in terms of the casual, in terms of how many cases, we're like epicenter here uh, for coronavirus epidemic uh, in the world, right? So New York City. And yet the unemployment um, hasn't been uh, that drastically uh, changed and compared to some other states. And part of it is because of the SUNY, actually, State University of New York. Uh, this is the largest employer in the state. And then they have CUNY and so on. And, uh, you know, the governor basically said, nobody's going to get fired. Nobody's going to get uh, hired either. But, I mean, things are going to stay in place as it is. That's why I have to say that I, I, I'm in the most privileged position. Uh, uh, really, you know, my paycheck still keeps on coming in. I have a job. There's quite a bit of security compared to everybody else. Here's where you see the, you know, the public policy policy um, at the state level. At the federal level, it's a whole different story and uh, mm. you can read it in the news. Mm. This is recorded. I will not comment more no. on it, I guess. <laughs> we, should, we should talk about another thing that Sony is uh, well known for, which is also um, the work on OER and on open educational resources. So we've talked about these a few times. So I just mentioned it briefly there. Educational materials licensed which will mean, also means two things, that uh, you can normally have a, a, a cost-free access to them. And secondly, you redevelop them or part of the, it's very easy to change them and adapt them to certain processes. It's, I find OER in this situation quite interesting because we already talked about the fact that we're in a bit of a situation now where the knee-jerk reaction of higher education to the COVID crisis has been okay, the first thing I have to do is push content to people. And in a way, the OER has always been saying, the content is not the content, it's the beginning of a process. Um, I know you've been quite active in the OER area, and, I've, and I, just to mention it for people who don't know the American system so well, um, OER is also a very important uh, element of the American system these days, um, because it's also a way to get uh, cheaper access to at least uh, the learning materials. So maybe you could say a bit of bit to OER in the context of COVID and also in the context of the economics of education. Right. So, I mean, so let's start with economics, basically. So again, as I mentioned, uh, I used to work for the private um, uh, university here in Long Island. And, uh, you know, the tuition there... It's probably right now it's more than like $35,000 per year for uh, for one academic year. That's just basic tuition. And uh, so, you know, the expectation is that people who go there can afford it a little bit more easily. Uh, so, you know, I usually use my textbooks. I signed it, publisher assigned textbooks, and that, that basically was my life. Uh, once I got a job here in the public system and I sort of started to look at who are my students uh, to realize that basically uh, for a lot of them, uh, the money they would be spending on textbook is 
three, four, five times higher than demanding on anything else related to their higher education mm. just seems outrageous, right? So at that time, um, and again, luckily for me, it was literally the year when um, SUNY started to um, promote open educational resources. So I attended a lot of the seminars. And then soon after, again, uh, governor uh, of New York uh, passed a bill or, um, I think we got $8 million, uh, so $4 million for CUNY, that's uh, City University of New York, and $4 million for SUNY to somehow promote, develop, get faculty on board to start to adopt this stuff. Because it, And I think this was related to the fact that we have this Excelsior scholarship, right, where people are not paying for the tuition uh, so they can go to college. The problem is when they get, once they get there, they can't pay for any of the textbooks. They need to actually be successful in college, right? So this clearly makes uh, behind it. And, and just to sort of put in perspective, um, so my econ textbook, um, introductory microeconomics textbook that I've been using, uh, the for the new edition, it's about like $280. Uh, for the public policy book, which I just simply love, I thought it was like the best book ever, it's $340, right? Uh, so with, with even though, and this was the first time teaching and I just knew the headaches I'm gonna have to uh, have in order to create all this content, put it together. Uh, I just I just find it, uh, I, I just couldn't do it, right? I mean, for for many reasons, uh, it just seemed that uh, it's unfair to to expect something like that from students who really cannot afford any of this stuff. And, you know, struggling with, uh, with hunger, with homelessness and so on. And then to assign a book that, uh, you know, it's $340, it just seems outrageous. So luckily again for us is that we got so much support, we got so much uh, uh, help from the state in order to promote it. And SUNY again uh, is sort of a leading uh, institution when it comes to that. So we had the seminars and again, the, the step here, the way we were approaching this, and, and I should also, uh, you know, um, acknowledge that co-chair of a, a OER committee here at SUNY Old Westbury, where I am actually working with faculty trying to promote it at, at my institution. Um, so the, the the project we were taking, we, that was suggested to us, is basically let's get people first to just adopt a textbook, an open educational textbook for some sort of intro courses, so they can, you know, sort of get an idea where this is going. Because once you start working with OER, um, there are these like five R's that a lot of people sort of mention you know that you can reuse remix um three others i guess i didn't study hard enough for this uh, for this uh yeah. webinar reuse remix retain revise okay anyways revise anyways so repurpose we, something we that we sell, probably no, <laughs> no 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 there's nothing to sell here it's all free <laughs> so i mean you can't you can always publish your own work if you want um but uh, so one of the things for me that was very very beautiful for that was the fact that i can actually remix the material right I have a publisher provided textbook uh, typically those are the chapters that's the order of the book and I, I can never teach in that order like the way i sort of uh, think about certain issues i want to sort of skip chapters and sort of disorganize and so on well now i have this textbook and i i just said like i think last semester in the fall i had my perfect textbook because it was this open educational text i've been playing around for two semesters so everything is as it should be the way it is in my head the way i lectured the way i can explain into my class so the textbook is there and there also there's material in economics there's a lot of things that uh, it seemed that the issue is settled so i teach also on the minimum wage for example uh, there's a lot of the but when you read the intro textbook it seems that there is no debate i mean minimum wage is bad and that's it uh, case closed right um so then you can really add things to it a bit as opposed to just having whatever it's provided um so that already changes the way you teach right so to to be engaged with that material but then on top of that um one of the things that 
that uh, I'm engaged and I'm trying to sort of promote uh, in, you know, with other faculty too, is basically this idea of open pedagogy. Uh, and open pedagogy is basically when, uh, not only that I'm using these textbooks and I'm changing it, but I'm in, encouraging students to participate in my class very differently. So just to give an example, the, the, the class that I was just teaching this uh, semester, it's a new class, uh, it's called Public uh, Finance and Public Policy. That's the, the textbook, right? The $340 textbook that I, that I didn't use. So since I didn't have a textbook, well, we sort of wrote it together with my students in a sense, right? Um, so what I have done, especially after the, the shutdown, is I have created this um, uh, quite detailed um, web page uh, with all the materials they can access. The material there might not be always basically just links to the newspapers, to the to the articles written by the economists and so on. So it's not all OER. What is OER is the assignment that goes with it, right? So basically they, they have access to the OER textbook that I have created, but there's this OER assignment. And this is where a lot of the, that's the content that also matters, right? So it's not just the textbooks and this basic material. It's really how do you then engage students with the material itself? right so it's this big assignment and this assignment really has to do with the with the analysis of covid right covid 19 uh, That's pandemic. a really beautiful book a beautiful book the for 350 dollars i would it's really like beautiful... to be able to afford it um yes but, yes and dominic you are yourself i mean it's not uh, nobody knows i mean uh, i don't know enough about kiron and and uh, the work you're doing however we have to wrap up mission um, which is now uh, coming to an end um but uh, dominic please please tell us a little bit more um how Kiran, um, how, how do you relate to open um, um, education resources as um, as a means to make uh, education accessible for many more people who elsewhere wouldn't be able to? Or are you trying to save money for the federal um, um, budget? What's your true intention? <laughs> I mean, really, it's it's. I mean, I think Veronica has made a, a very good case, very strong case for OER. The reason why OER are interesting is um, not really for this point, it's for the point that comes afterwards, for the repurposing. So what's interesting for us is if we're trying to develop learning programs, we can also have our students um, in focus and think about, okay, so there is some learning materials which we can start using, but how can we make sure that they fulfill the purpose for our students? And what we haven't managed yet is the second point you were mentioning, Veronica, which I think is really important, include the learners in the production of the learning materials. This is really quite a difficult thing, or we found it difficult to do this in a, the, the environment of a learning platform. Um, but it is a really huge challenge, which I think is what we will be to move forward to, because what we know is um, what Veronica was saying as well is, you know, it's about interaction. It's about also including learners in um, contributing to the learning experience. And that's a, a super connection to what we were talking about last week when we were talking about how can you become a member of a community and you become a member by contributing to it. And I think this is something which is really important for learning, especially now. So I'm actually pleased kind of I also have the feeling now we've, we're interrupting a debate somehow because it was really great to hear all, all of your things. We've touched on a lot of many, many issues. Um, we also had a comment, uh, a few comments in the chat who were saying, okay, um, basically they were saying, can you just talk about some of those things for a bit longer? 
but I also think, you know, part of our purpose, we just want to kind of, uh, you know, introduce these uh, debates. But I would like to just mention before I pass on to Sabrina that um, also what you've mentioned, uh, Veronica, will put links to all of those in the uh, in the video as well. So people can find all of those things you've mentioned because I think they are super relevant. Totally. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, I'm also super overwhelmed uh, with all the issues that you talked about, right? And I feel we need uh, we need you in a different lecture again. Um, actually, maybe for for Kyra and ourselves. Um, let's see if we will have others listening in as well. But um, what I love about that is um, that right that we can get to in the future if we have more OER content. Because if you talk about like public financing, for example, or policy work or whatever. I mean, um, the point of view that you might have on it um, could be a, a bit different than someone would teach it in Berlin, right? So I feel that that's the next step of, of learning if we go beyond uh, individual lectures and then um, enable this mixing and matching of knowledge, um, like in the same subject, but across country borders, right? And that's also what we discussed last week about like a more borderless university. And um, I feel that's that's very possible.